Radio. In this segment, we are speaking to Mr. Jefferson Morley. He runs JFK Facts. I think people are well aware of him in the JFK research community. So welcome. Thank you for taking time to talk to me today. Hi, Len. Thanks for having me. Uh, there's a lot of JFK news, so there's a lot to talk about. Great. Right. Well, I think most people are interested in the latest release or non-release. And, yeah. Um, give me an so, overview of, of what happened in December. So, so, you know, what we had, we had a, a, a second release on December 15th, 20, 2022, which had been ordered by President Biden a year ago, October. And this was to deal with the last of the JFK assassination related records in the government's possession, which still contain redacted information. And it's a sizable body of records. It was about 16,000 records that were up for consideration in this latest release ordered by Biden. Biden's asked federal agencies to, you know, exercise a maximal degree of transparency given public interest in the subject. So that raised hopes that after giving the CIA and and FBI another year, that the agencies would be ready to declassify in a big way. And they really didn't. You know, it was it was kind of a shell game. They said that they declassified, you know, thousands of records. But, you know, when we went in and looked and did a check, you know, we found that really not very much had been released. So, for example, the Mary Farrell Foundation, we had 36 documents that we were interested in, 36 JFK documents that contain redactions. And these were things like the history of the Miami station, surveillance techniques in Mexico City involving Oswald. You know, things that were directly related to the assassination story that still contained redaction. So we pulled 36 of those documents and compared the new versions to the old versions. Out of those 36, 12 documents were released in full, that meaning all redactions were removed. Another 24 were basically redacted very much to the same extent. And I'll give you I'll give you one example. This was this was an ex- example we cited in the in our lawsuit, the Mary Farrell Foundation's lawsuit against President Biden and the National Archives. We said, you know, there's this rampant overclassification. And one example we cited was a memo that Arthur Schlesinger wrote to JFK a couple months after the Bay of Pigs in June 1961. And the title of the memo is CIA Reorganization. You know, and everybody knows that President Kennedy and the CIA were not happy with each other after the Bay of Pigs, right? The CIA people felt Kennedy had chickened out and let them down. And Kennedy felt he'd been set up and, uh, you know, was expecting to make up for, you know, save the CIA's ass for a lousy plan. And, you know, this is the time when he spoke about breaking the CIA into a thousand pieces and scattering it to the winds. Well, Schlesinger's memo is really, you know, a very sober policy paper, but about doing exactly that. And Schlesinger's looking at the CIA and the problems that it creates for the president's foreign policy. And, you know, maybe the solution is to reorganize the CIA. Well, this document has about a page and a half in the middle of it that it's missing. Several hundred words, probably two or three hundred words. 
So this was the one example we cited, the first of 10 examples that we cited of overclassification. So when the documents came out, that was the first one I checked. And you know what they had done, Len? They declassified one sentence. The first sentence of the, of the, of the, the page and a half that's redacted, they, they declassified the topic sentence. So they declassified about 18 words out of 250 words. And this is for a document that was not generated by the CIA, right? Arthur Schlesinger is not a CIA officer. He was a historian and an aide to President Kennedy. And the CIA is still keeping that information out of the public record. So that just shows you that their determination, that they will control any aspect of the story that they want. And that's the message that they're sending. You know, there's no other interpretation that's possible with that kind of performance under a you know, direct presidential order and a very strong law which says the presumption is disclosure. You know, they have no intention of obeying the JFK Records Act. That's what they're telling us. So that's why we, that's why we sued because the president is not enforcing the law. He's not telling the CIA they have to do what they have to do. They're pushing him around the way they pushed Trump around too, you know. Trump made a big deal about, you know, his enemies and the deep state and they're terrible people and they're out to get him and all of that. You know, when push came to shove, he gave the deep state guys everything they wanted on JFK. There was no pushback. There was no nothing. He gave them what they wanted. And Biden put leaned on them a little bit more. And the CIA did cough up some number of documents. But um, they're making clear that they're not going to. Um, that they're not going to obey the law. So, yeah. Now, you mentioned the lawsuit, and this is with the Mary Farrell Foundation. Correct. What got you interested to to get behind this, to undertake suing them? Because it really it is, it is slap in the face time and time again. We started these conversations about a year ago, looking ahead to, you know, the, the, the enforcement of Biden's October 2021 memo and expecting the worst. And we thought that the only way that we might actually force them to do something is to create some embarrassing publicity. And that would might prompt somebody in the White House to say, let's just get this over with. And so the legal discussions, it was a legal working group. I'm not a lawyer. Um, I sat in on it basically because they would ask me questions about what was and wasn't in the documents and kind of how could they fashion their arguments around that. So Larry, Larry Schnapp and Bill Simpich were the kind of the lead, the leading guys. And, and Bill's a civil rights litigator from the Bay Area and Larry's an environmental lawyer. So, you know, these are guys who like to get things done in court. And I, you know, their attitude all along was we got to sue somebody. You know, we got to get this thing, jumpstart this thing, because otherwise they're just going to screw us for eternity. And, you know, at the Mary Farrell Foundation, our job is to put JFK documents online and educate people and write about them. You know, we're Rex Bradford and I were not lawyers. Bill Simpich is on the board of directors, but otherwise it's not a group of lawyers. So, you know, and it's concerned citizens. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, there was like, I, you know, we want to do what we do. We suing the president, you know, that's, that's a lot, you know, I mean, then people think, you have some partisan agenda, which we really don't, you know, I mean, we don't talk politics. I don't know what everybody's politics are. I think Larry's kind of from the right side of the spectrum. Rex and I are sort of normal, all over the place liberals. We have no desire to give Joe Biden a hard time. But the plain fact is he's the only guy who can solve the problem, right? He's the only guy who tell the CIA, you have to do this. So that's why we we had to we had to sue them, and, and this latest release shows why the lawsuit's necessary. The case is going to go to court this spring, um, in the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco. The case is being heard by Richard Seaborg, who's the chief judge in that circuit. Um, seems to be a judicial straight arrow. I think he was appointed by uh, uh, Clinton or Obama, um, and uh, you know, and and we'll see what happens. But I think we have a strong case that you know. The, the letter of the law, much less the spirit, the letter of the law is not being observed. So um, I still think that, you know, that this, the 
strategy behind the lawsuit is partly legal, right? We do want the courts to step in and say, executive branch needs to do X, Y, and Z. But it's also political, right? Because the real solution is is not in a court of law. The real solution is that people in the White House and in the CIA say, we want to obey this law, right? And the only way that's going to happen is if they're embarrassed, you know, if, if the, the alternative is more painful than doing it. And so shame and embarrassment are the technique to move them to finally fulfill the law and release all the JFK records. So that's kind of the, the, the larger, there's a kind of political strategy um, and a legal strategy. Right. Now, what's your view of this denial of the law? For instance, I'm just saying that to me, it's a slap in the face. They're saying, no matter what happened, we're not going to tell you. Over and over, like you mentioned, they only read or they released one sentence more than what they had, right? On something right. that isn't even their business. Right. So my view is that it just underscores that they have something to hide. Yes. Yeah. No. And, and, and this is something that, I mean, this is apart from the lawsuit and all that. This is kind of more like the media strategy or, the, you know, the media thinking that's going behind this. Yeah. And I think that's exactly right. I mean, what else can you conclude? I mean, to say they're not obeying with the law because they want to, they just want to hide this, a lot of trivial stuff that's not important, but is very important to them for reasons that are obscure. Now, okay, to me, that sounds like willful naivete, right? If, if you're hiding something, you can't turn around and say, we're not hiding anything. Just let us keep 4,000 documents hidden. You know, that doesn't make any sense. And in fact, when somebody does it to you, to your face, you think, this is a trick, right? This is a ruse. This is, they're telling me one thing and they're doing something else. And, and so, yeah, that's what's going on. So then the question becomes, so what are they hiding? Okay. And the, the, what are they hiding question in the popular mind is inevitably in the culture is inevitably tied up with what's your theory. Okay. Now I'd like to get away from that thinking because first of all we don't need a theory to know that the CIA's behavior is suspicious if if you're not compliant with the law your behavior is suspicious period we don't need a theory of the Kennedy assassination to to vindicate that belief that belief is true okay so that's the one thing the the decept, the continuing secrecy and deception tells us something it's not meaningless Okay. People say, oh, they're keeping these secrets for no reason. What they're saying is the CIA's secrecy around a presidential assassination is meaningless. That's a deeply political conclusion and a, and a kind of disturbing one if you think about it, right? It's like the CIA doesn't have to obey the law around the assassination of a president because, well, it just doesn't mean anything if they do that. No, it does mean something. It means that their behavior is suspicious. Okay. It means they have something to hide. So what are they hiding? I mean, when I look at the case, Len, and have been studying it for a long time, the thing that stands out above everything else is their interest in Oswald while JFK was still alive, because that's the thing that they lied about from day one. And now, you know, and, and that was not at all clear at the time of the Warren Commission. It wasn't at all clear to Jim Garrison had his suspicions. It wasn't clear to the church committee and the House Select Committee on Assassinations. It really only became clear in the 90s when we got full access to the pre-assassination Oswald file. And the story of a lone nut is refuted by that file, okay? He, he was not some guy who came out of nowhere and shot the president. He was very well known to the upper echelon of the operations directorate. That fact alone, right, if that had been known, what we know now had been known on November 23rd, 1963, you know, a lot of people at the CIA would have lost their jobs, right? All the people who signed off on a cable about Oswald saying Oswald was maturing. And these were senior officials, Tom Karamacinas, Dick Helms' trusted right-hand man, John Witten, the chief of the Mexico desk, uh, 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 Bill Hood, chief of operations in the Western Hemisphere. Jane Roman, right-hand man to James Angleton. You know, very senior official officers were very knowledgeable about Lee Harvey Oswald. So they've been lying from that from the start, and that's what they're still hiding. 
pre-assassination interest in Oswald. That's the, that's the radioactive story that they can't bring themselves to disclose. Um, so that's why they're holding back is because at the end of the day, if there's full disclosure, eventually full disclosure will reveal that operational interest and that will discredit their narrative of the assassination. So it's, you know, they're digging in and that's what we see in, 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 in these, in these half-hearted shambolic releases, you know, we're going to kick the can down the road until you die, you know, till everybody forgets about this and just move along. There's, there's nothing here. Now, what's interesting is, you know, and you said you wanted to talk about Tucker Carlson, you know, uh, the, the political right is now in the person of Tucker Carlson is now seizing on the JFK story as an example of, you know, a federal government out of control. Um, uh, and, um, so, well, if Carl- I could just interrupt, yeah. just for anyone who had, didn't know that, that Tucker yeah. Carlson came on after this uh, shambolic, I love that word, uh, <laughs> release, to say that here we have it finally, ladies and gentlemen, we can say that the CIA murdered JFK. The CIA is heavily involved. I, I, but he went further than anyone has really done on TV. Yeah. He just named it. He said, like you mentioned, what other conclusion can you have 60 years later that they are redacting documents? That if there was any involvement or anything, they would be waving it as a, a flag that Lee had planned this and did it. But yeah. the opposite is true. And he is someone who has come out to really point the finger in a way that I think uh, your um, effort and the effort of the lawyers group was to, if they won't release it, let's really point out why they're not releasing it and it's because of their involvement yeah and uh that that was it was um refreshing anyway you know yeah because people may not be a fan of tucker or fox but you kind of have to give due to the fact that wow he actually is saying this and this is yeah and and, you know I, i i listened carefully to his broadcast i mean most of the setup was factually accurate wasn't distorted for partisan political purposes. You know, it was, it was very, you know, straightforward. And then he claims to have this source. Now the source is anonymous, uh, which has got to give you pause. Um, uh, the sources comments about, you know, did this, what documents did the source see? Not very clear. I, I followed up with Carlson's people and asked for some more details and they said they weren't going to share that um so the story that part of the story is very difficult to check but you know it's a it's a political statement and so we're seeing this come into view and this this past week carlson said that the new republican majority in the house of representatives is going to create a a new church committee is was the language he used um referencing the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence Activities, chaired by Senator Frank Church in the right, 1960s, Frank Church, yeah. which was a, you know, a, a, a liberal Democratic cause, which issued one of the more most definitive documents about the CIA. The Church Committee investigation of the CIA was the first real accounting that we've had of the CIA's role in foreign policy and American life, and uh, you know, was a landmark at its time in educating people and. And, and to some degree, bringing the agency under a, a greater degree of, you know, public control. So I think, you know, Carlson and the Republicans are trying to package this as a new church committee as a way of defusing Democratic criticism. You know, if, if you like the church committee, you're going to like what we're doing here. Now, I think that all the signs are that this is not going to be a serious, you know, bipartisan effort that will command widespread respect. Remember, Barry Goldwater was on the church committee. Howard Baker was on the church committee. That was a committee that had broad ideological support from left to right. Okay. Are the Republicans going to do that this year in this thing? I mean, the the record is not encouraging. Let's just put it that way. So, but this is going to come up and they are going to create this new church committee. I think they're going to create it today. Kevin McCarthy is going to put in a resolution today creating the committee. It, it will have Democratic participation. There will be five Democratic members on it. So that will be interesting to see. The purpose of the church committee is, uh, of this so-called new church committee, is to 
investigate the what they call the weaponization of the FBI and CIA. They, they're going to make the case that the FBI and CIA, you know, went after Trump and interfered in the political system and all that. And some of that may be, you know, I'm not dismissing all those concerns entirely. We did see abuses of power in the investigation. Well, uh, if I may, one thing that really, I think, helped people perk their ears up to this a lawsuit and, and watch the news about it was kind of at the same time, the Elon Musk re- revelations about what the FBI was doing with Twitter. And it's like, People, they are doing stuff against American people, not foreign governments. It's, you know, this is happening. It's aimed inwards at Americans. Yeah. And, and this is when it comes to the CIA, this has always been, a, you know, a, a, a feature of the CIA that, 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 that its foreign operations inevitably come home. Right. And we saw that in Watergate where the White House is hiring burglars who are used to doing dirty tricks overseas and hires them for dirty tricks at home. And in the Iran-Contra scandal, you know, you see CIA officers basically running a covert operation against Congress to, you know, to bypass the will of Congress. And you see the the implementation of a torture regime by the CIA, you know, done outside the outside the law. And the and and then you have January 6, you know, a conspiracy outside the law to, you know, to, to take power. So one thing that we've seen over the years, you know, for my whole life is that kind of abuse of power. And so, you know, the fact that this the Republican Congress wants to bring that issue onto the stage, I mean, that's legitimate. You know, what, will we have a real, the kind of high quality investigation that we need, or is the purpose of this to get Trump into, in good shape to run in 2024? So, and I'm not going to prejudge it. Right. I think that politics can take funny shape. And I don't want to assume that the, because I'm not a Republican, that, you know, what they're going to do is, is, is not going to be good. I think the idea of looking at the actions of the FBI and the CIA through the lens of a church committee, let's step back and figure out, is this organization, are these organizations under Democratic control and have they abused their power? That's that's perfectly legitimate. And, you know, and hopefully in the optimistic scenario, we will get some of that, you know, a real honest accounting, not just a partisan food fight. So remains to be seen. But again, you know, to come back to your point that, you know, this is in the air, this is happening. This isn't ancient history anymore. You know, the JFK story is wrapped up in the politics of our time. And I have been following the Elon Musk revelations mm-hmm. he's given out to various reporters. And then Glenn has written about the JFK. They're, they're kind of piggybacking on each other, saying that these allegations, you know, once just held by, quote, conspiracy theorists or something like that, there's there's a lot there. But I think with the JFK assassination, people that, that we have been looking into this for 60 years, is that, yeah, it was refreshing to hear that he said the CIA killed him. Because uh, what conclusion are you supposed to draw? They don't, don't even want to color or candy coated or anything. They don't want to give an alternate theory or anything. They just. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's exactly right. And, and in in my particular case, I I think it's very telling, you know, I focused on these records of George Joannides, this head of psychological warfare branch of the Miami station, not because he's a high ranking CIA plotter against president Kennedy. I I don't think he was, he wasn't high ranking. He was a mid-level guy. And he executed the orders of people above him. And so my reporting and research has said, you know, this pre-assassination interest in Oswald, you know, if, if we can look at this guy's files, you know, who was he responding to? That will tell us about this pre-assassination interest in Oswald. And I identified these records that I was never able to get in my lawsuit for the Joannides files that are in the CIA's possession that are directly relevant to this. And we know that they're relevant because they're his files and he was handling the Cubans who had publicized Oswald before and after the assassination. And we know that these files involve his operations because that's why the documents are withheld. The CIA has said we can't release these because they have they really have details about Joannides intelligence methods and his cover. And so that's the kind of thing that we can find out about their interest in Oswald while Kennedy was still alive. What were what intelligence methods were there? What were they trying to accomplish with Oswald? You know, was it a conspiracy to kill the president or was it something else? We don't know, but we do know that those records exist and are highly relevant to these questions. So not only will they not surrender the the documents, but they don't even go to reporters 
and say, Morley doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, that, that has nothing to do with anything. They don't even deny it, right? Because they don't have an available cover story. This kicking the can down the road is, is, is really their, their most viable strategy for getting out of, you know, this embarrassing situation where, oh my God, you know, we have something to hide about our agency 60 years ago. Now, I still wonder if there won't be some faction at the CIA who says, yeah, you know, okay, something bad happened 60 years ago. Let's acknowledge it and move on. I think that they can't do that because it's, it's so damaging, right? That, that the, the agency's budget and its reputation today wouldn't suffer. There's no way to get the Kennedy assassination into the past. And that's what we're seeing now with this with political issues around the CIA and FBI. It's like they can't get away with with talking about it because they don't really have an available cover story. Their cover stories have collapsed. So, you know, what does the CIA do in that situation? I, you know, I think they stonewall. And I think that's what, you know, that's what we're going to see. But I'm hopeful because I think that these new politics around the issue create new incentives for, for accountability and disclosure. And uh, there's a risk of, of partisanship you know, with the Republicans and their desire just to beat up on Biden and all this. And the JFK story is, is different than that. It's maybe you can say it's related. Okay, that, that's fair. But we need to take a good, hard look at this, finally enforce the law and push the story into the open. So I feel like, you know, we're making progress. I'll tell you one thing, Len, that was very striking to us was the, cover, the press coverage of the, of the lawsuit was very favorable. And it was almost like CBS and NBC was almost like we have the more credible story now. And the most credible story out there is they're hiding something. And so, you know, the JFK skeptics, JFK research community doesn't usually get good press. But we did get good press because people are coming around and saying, hey, these guys know what they're talking about. And the CIA seems to be up to no good at best. You know, so I think the public attitude is has crystallized or changed a little bit. So I'm all of which makes me optimistic about 2023 and going up to the 60th anniversary next November. Do you have any opinion on how the CIA would admit culpability? Like you mentioned, this is deny, deny. I don't think there really there is a way they can say if you were to subscribe that Alan Dulles was involved in this after being fired and he, and he used his influence in the agency and off-the-shelf you know, people mm-hmm. in Lansdale or whatever, if you subscribe to that point of view and they had Kennedy removed, they flexed their muscles and to the world, you know, had him shot at, at noon in Texas. They just said, you know, we're in charge here. So with that point of view, I just wonder, I don't think they ever will reveal involvement. Do you know what I'm getting at? I mean, you've written about other people. Yeah, I mean, I mean no, I, 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 I mean, I only think they can be forced into it. They didn't want to give up all of their all of their JFK files in 1991, but they gave them up in 1993 because Oliver Stone made a movie and Congress passed a law and they had to do something they really didn't want to do. So then they moved into a new mode of obfuscation and, and withholding. But they can be forced to do things they don't want to do. So, you know, there is precedent for that, I would say. Okay, well, that that's a bit of optimism. To me, I've used this analogy before. It's like a, a Boy Scout going up to the clubhouse of a Hell's Angels, uh, uh-huh. you know, thing and knocking on the door and saying, hey, "What are you guys doing in there?" Uh-huh. And, and if it's as bad as I have a feeling it is, they're not going to reveal this because this is the tip of the iceberg. Well, then, what was the operation with Bobby Kennedy? What was was behind Martin Luther King and on and on that we don't know about? So. I think they called it family secrets or whatever, you know, that that organization is quite a bit tougher than people imagine. They can't yeah. really reveal this without the walls falling down. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And so I think the implications of the full truth about JFK's story are profound, right? And that's why we still see that it exercises this gravitational force in our politics, you know, why it's a kind of formative experience that shapes how people feel about the FBI and President Biden today, you know, even though there's no direct connection, the Kennedy assassination experience informs everybody's, it informs the culture, you know, it's not something anybody can escape from in a way. In this instance, though, I think that there are so many concerned citizens that have done the the legwork that really know the case, 
that they realized when we were being bamboozled, just humored with a little tossing a cookie here and there, you know, luckily it's about time that either the mainstream press and that come to the conclusion that, no, the CIA is up to the next in this and it goes farther than it's comfortable for people. I mean, uh, the book JFK and the Unspeakable, really that title really kind of reveals that if you really knew what went on, it, it it would shake the foundation to the core. And the fact that Trump the night before tweeted, I'm really interested to see what happened. And then somebody came to him and said, no, you're not gonna, we're in charge here. And then he had to keep postponing it. And now with Biden, and it's it's always something before he said it was because of COVID. And after 25 years, they weren't ready. And they got, you know, it's just, it, it really is pathetic if it was any other topic. Uh, right. So, you know, but uh, what other tools do we have for oh, getting no, you're, that, and The thing that, that Bill Simpich, you know, and I think is it Mark Adamczyk and you know, these other people that are saying, well, Let's let them do it in court then. Let's them, you know, stand up to a judge and say, this is why we can't release them. And yeah. they're hoping, like you're mentioning that, well, it may be it may be embarrassing. Maybe there's somebody in the CIA that will do this limited hangout and say, okay, well, you know, we had involvement here or we, we had... Um, we had double agents. We had false defector programs. We had this. You probably can understand now we are in a cold war and we did this for the for what we thought was a betterment. But finally, when it gets down to the murder of a president and, and a lot of people thought was a quality president, you know, at, at a time after years, there's been so many mediocre leaders that you go. Yeah, it, it's um, it's really unbelievable. So, I mean, it's it's hats off many times. I've said to Larry and other people, you know, I just the optimism is great, but you know, I just wonder, can the CIA make these revelations that are people without just really revealing that they were behind everything? And that's what was refreshing about Tucker Carlson when he finally just said, if they weren't, I'm going to start saying that the CIA killed them because if they weren't, it's up to them to to show how they didn't do it. You know, maybe they were behind the cover up. Maybe they had uh, all these uh, different sources and methods that they want to protect. But no, after 60 years, you can't just keep saying that. So you mentioned in the spring, there will be some kind of accounting that they have to go to court. And and because it was supposed to be on a case by case, they were supposed to give a reason why they redacted. Yeah, the the statute is quite clear that in, in, in information that is withheld after 25 years, there needs to be a document document declassified presentation about why the information is being held and why the withholding creates and why disclosure would create a uh, uh, what's it's not irreversible harm a serious harm as a, that outweighs the public interest in full disclosure it's a very strict balancing test that's written into the law that has to be done on each and every document well you know they're withholding 7000 documents they didn't do any of that on a document by document basis. And the, and the law could not be clearer that it has to be a document by document basis. And they just go on these old blanket statements. Oh, this would harm national security. One of the, you know, and, 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 and the, and and the claims are ludicrous. So one of the things that was declassified that had been withheld by in the last releases in 2017 and 2018 was the fact that the CIA had a station in Stockholm, Sweden, and their argument was that the disclosure of that fact, which has been on the public record dozens of times in dozens of places for decades, that release of that information would harm national security. And the reason that they people say, oh, that, that's that's ridiculous. You know, that that shows how silly that this whole thing is. They're hiding nothing of consequence. No, what that shows is, is that they are exercising their power even over the most trivial detail in order to ensure that they can have that power over the most consequential details. So that's the shell game that's going on. What's your personal thought? Do you think that that they will find out that this agency was involved in removing the the president? I think if we get to the records that I'm talking about, we'll know more about the operational interests in Oswald before the assassination, where that came from. Right now, it's a little hard to tell who Joannides was working for. So who was interested in this guy as he becomes the pro-Castro activist of New Orleans and then goes to Mexico City, you know. So this guy who's the object of high-level CIA interest, 
what was going on, who was authorizing that operation. And, and you know, analytically, there's a couple different choices. One is, might have been Bill Harvey, in which case you would say, well, that would make it more likely that there was an assassination plot since assassination was his specialty. It might have been Jim Angleton, in which case it might have been conceived of as a counterintelligence operation with, you know, some kind of dirty tricks against the Soviets or against the Cubans, you know, worked in there, you know, or it could have been something that was masterminded by the Pentagon and the CIA people were just brought in as the specialists to handle the covert psychological warfare side of it. And somebody else was in charge. So it could go a lot of different ways when we really get in there. And I think all of those possibilities are there and we'll, and we'll only know once we get the record. Right. Um, yeah. So, interesting because you've written about, do you want to mention, first of all, do you have a website? Yeah, so, I mean, if you want to keep up with this, subscribe to jfkfacts.substack.com. It's five bucks a month for a year yearly subscription and covering all the news and then filling in the backstory. We're both doing the JFK story today and the JFK story, what do we know about what happened in 1963 with an emphasis on what do we know now that we didn't know 10 years ago or five years ago? You know, what's new? How, how, what, how is this story developing and crystallizing over time? So, yeah, that, that's... Well, I meant, like, do you have a personal to... website, but if it's just jfkfacts.org or the Substack, I'll make a link to them. But you have written several books on this, and you, you've written about Winston Scott. Yeah, so... Yeah, the man other... in Mexico, and so I just want to know where, where are all your books available and where would people go to find more about you? That's uh, what you recommend? Uh, yeah, I, I think jfkfacts.substack.com. jfkfacts.org will will reroute you to, to okay, the Substack. Sure. Uh, you can buy my buy my books at jeffersonmorleybooks.com. Right, jeffersonmorleybooks. Um, okay. But if people are, and you can get all my books on Amazon. And, you know, if you're really interested in how I come to my views about the Kennedy assassination, my three CIA books are not about the assassination per se. They are biographies of three CIA leaders, all of whom were very involved and had very close, a lot of knowledge about the events of November 22nd, 1963. Our Man in Mexico is the story of Wynne Scott, the Mexico City station chief um, in 1963. He oversaw the surveillance of Oswald and later wrote a, a memoir in which he talked about his understanding of Kennedy's assassination. The Ghost is my biography of James Angleton, the chief of counterintelligence. He's the, the guy in the CIA who's the most interested in Lee Harvey Oswald when he defects to the Soviet Union in 1959. And it's his staff who monitors Oswald over the next four years. So I tell that story in The Ghost. And then my latest book, Scorpion's Dance, is about the relationship between President Richard Nixon and CIA director Richard Helms. And their relationship has a subtext around the Kennedy assassination, around what Nixon called the whole Bay of Pigs thing, which was Nixon's way of trying to get at what was the CIA's story around the Kennedy assassination. Nixon sensed that the CIA was vulnerable on that score and was trying to exploit that, you know, that, that intuition that he had. So my books give a lot of context to how the CIA understood, responded to, um, uh, was involved in Kennedy's assassination, although they don't really develop a, any particular interpretation of the assassination. Yeah. I, and that's why I mentioned that because as you, as you say at, at this date, whatever documents were able to force out of their hands, it could go at different ways, and yeah. there, there's, there isn't one just set theory of what happened. People, you know, that listen to Black Op Radio or or go to your website are just interested. What are the facts in the case? Yeah, and and yeah, you and, know, and I, it, for instance, if I, I mean, uh, James Angleton or Alan Dulles or whoever you might be interested in, just by the discoveries of Joanides, it doesn't just point in one direction, but it's it talks about. American intelligence and yeah. this people are calling it the deep state, but this is just the way things worked then. So many things were compartmentalized that you may be on an operation. You didn't know, uh, you know what the ramifications were, uh, but everybody seems to know about the cover up that they just went along with it. Right. 
Yeah, and I think you know it's, it's important for people to understand how covert operations are organized. And you know this argument, oh, there couldn't have been a conspiracy because so many people would have had to know about it. You know, anybody who knows anything about how the CIA organizes covert operations knows that that is not true and that very sophisticated, effective covert operations can be organized and known only to a tiny, you know, three or four people. And I've talked to CIA people who talk about some of their greatest, what they feel are their greatest accomplishments. And these were highly compartmentalized things that the guy sitting at the desk next to you had no idea, you know? And so this idea that, oh, you know, a a big conspiracy would have taken, you know, lots of people, that's not anybody, anybody with experience in the world of covert operations would not say that. Anybody experienced in the CIA world would not say that. But, you know, what is that, you know, what does that mean? Well, that, you know, that means it's, it's very hard to get at the truth. But, I, you know, I, I think we're making progress. And I think that actually this, this time of, even if it's partisan interest, is, is valuable or, or striking because there is this desire uh, that people are not coming at it with preconceptions, right? They're saying, we just want the whole story. We just want the whole story. And that's progress because, you know, the whole conspiracy discourse has always struck me as, you know, not very helpful. It's not, it, it's not a way to analyze a historical problem is let's come up with a conspiracy theory to explain, you know, what happened. The way you usually do history is you immerse yourself in the record and the patterns take shape and you realize what were people's motivations. That's the normal work of history. And so maybe at this final stage where we're getting you know, down to the end, the last things that they're hiding the most, this emphasis on just give us the facts can really drive some change in attitudes. Let's hope. Well, one lever was getting information on George Joannides. And then once people take an honest look at that, you go, wow, Dan Hardway, you know, and Lopez, Eddie Lopez, I mean, they really reveal how they were cut off at the knees, you know. Here's a guy who is running the organization, censoring what they were having access to. Absolutely. I mean, the story that Dan has told and Bob Blakey has told about how Joe Needy's deceived them, I mean, face to face, it was a very audacious felony. Right. He's obstructing their investigation to their faces. And that's why they found it so shocking. And and the CIA has no explanation for that. No explanation for that. And it was interesting. So when my the New York Times wrote a story about my lawsuit in 2009, when it was kind of halfway through and, you know, not a bad story at all. And they asked, the Scott Shane, the New York Times reporter, asked the CIA for comment. And the CIA said, you know, blah, we've complied with the law, blah, blah, blah. And any suggestion of conspiracy is, of course, obscene. Well, Len, my lawsuit said nothing about conspiracy. I made a point. I told my lawyer, we never put the word conspiracy anywhere in any legal document in this lawsuit, please. And it, it's not there at all. So it's like... <laughs> They denied something that they weren't accused of. <laughs> what does that tell you? You know, and that's and, and they don't have an explanation, you know, except to say, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're a bad person. We don't have to listen to you. That, you know, that type of rhetorical trick that they've used effectively in the past, it's not working. Well, it's the insult. Do I have this correct? You you were the one that that revealed to Bob Blakey that you showed yes. him the documents. Wow. Because he was waving the flag of they would never lie to us. They would never lie. And then you say, oh, Bob, look at this. And then, you know, oh, they lied to us. Yeah. And, and, and Blakey, he said, he said, I repudiate those comments that, you know, I, he said, I believe them and I was wrong to do that. I, don't, I, I will not say that anymore. They did not cooperate in our investigation. I don't trust anything they said. He totally changed his mind on that question based on the facts. Yeah, it, it's it's a shame that it, you know it's a shame, but it's at least it's good of him to to recognize that. I mean, because Dan Hardway, you know, I think they went on their own dime into Mexico. Well, you know, those you know, um, I mean, Gaten Fonzie wrote about this in his book. You know, those investigators they were not happy with the compromises that Blakey was making at the time, and Gaten wrote about that. You know, that he felt Blakey had let them down. So. 
Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, I thought it was big of Blakey to say, you know, yeah, I was fooled and I'm changing my position. That's the honest thing to do. And he did it. So, you know, it's unfortunate that it's unfortunate that it's taken 60 years to even get, you know, to claw our way, getting somewhat closer to the story. And then even so, there's people at the National Archives that had a small interest in releasing documents, but they feel their hands are tied as well. You know why? Why should they go out and get in between anything, right? I think that the, the I think just before Trump's announcement that November, I think around September or so, there was a few, it was a batch of some documents that were just released, saying if you guys aren't going to do anything, we're going to make them available to the public, and so they released a few documents, and then that forced the CIA to to say, no, wait a minute, we we have to redact all these, we have to, we need more time. Yeah, the poverty of yeah. all. Yeah, one one thing that we that we've learned is that the archives really has tried to push back against these ridiculous claims of the CIA. I mean, th- the problem, Len, is just the reality of Washington life, right? They're both executive branch agencies. They both report to the president, the CIA, and the National Archives. Okay, the CIA has a budget of fifteen billion dollars. Okay, the National Archives has a budget of about four hundred million dollars. So in any, you know, bureaucratic dispute, right, that's going to get kicked to the president or to, or even not to the president, but to the White House counsel's office more realistically, you know, the CIA is just going to have greater sway and the, and the National Archives is going to be forced to make compromises that they may not want to make. But at the end of the day, they're a federal agency. They're dealing with another federal agency. There has to be some degree of comity between them. You know, they have to do business together. The CIA's feeding the National Archives with, you know, hundreds of thousands of documents every year. And you know, so they have to get along. And so the, C- the archives, even if they want to call the CIA on some of this stuff, they just can't do it, you know, just in the, in the reality of, 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 of Washington power. So that was the great thing about the review board was that it took the decisions out of the hands of the CIA and, and, and put the final decision in the hands of an independent board. And one thing that we're looking for is, you know, in this period, one way to get out of this, one solution would be to create a new JFK review board to, to look at these last documents and declassify them all, you know. And if there's anything that is truly national security information in there, which might be, you know, in one or two or a dozen cases, there might be something that was necessary in that direction, but not thousands of records. So a new review board could be a solution for, you know, this, this, the stonewalling that we see now. Well, that, you know, that's optimistic. Anything, any one more document is of interest to people who find this of interest of just what happened without having a preconceived conclusion that it, it has to be Alan Dulles or it has to be Helms or whoever, you know, I usually just say to people, if they ask, Kennedy was removed by his enemies. Let's do an investigation of who his enemies were. Because those are the people, and I don't think it was Lee Oswald. (laughs) Now, have you ever heard of anyone making the case that that the intelligence agencies acted correctly? That that they did this, Kennedy would have sold everything down to the Soviet Union and and, uh, he would have wrecked it. That they were acting on... uh, on good faith, on on removing a president. I mean, I, I I don't doubt that the people who were behind the assassination thought that Kennedy was a threat to everything the American for, yeah, yeah, to the American way of life. But uh, no, you're not going to. I've never heard anybody make that argument today. But it would, what's of interest is there's still people that are saying that Lee Oswald did it in 2022, 2023. You know, there's but, but, books coming out. It's it's almost unbelievable, but there are. Well, you know, people come to this issue from all different walks of life with all different perspectives. And, you know, some people read the evidence differently than I do. I think that what's hard is that the truth is very destabilizing. You know, I mean, it, it's a, it means our institutions don't work the way we pretend they do. It means our institutions failed at that time. You know, it has very profound implications like we were, like we were saying before. And, you know, and it's it's a complicated story. It's been made, you know, more complicated by all the investigations. And, you know, I think it's natural for people to want to think well of their country, especially at a time when democracy is under attack. The whole idea of elections is denied. 
And so people want to believe their government and the lone gunman is a way to express confidence in your government and that everything's okay. So I understand what like kind of this, a, a, a psychological motivation for what seems to me to be a factually indefensible proposition. But, you know, that's, that's part of the story. Well, it's been very interesting listening to you talk. Thank you so much for sharing time with me today. Thank you, man. So, yeah, you know, people who want to keep up with the story, uh, jfkfacts.substack.com, is the, or you can send me a direct message on Twitter, at Jefferson Morley. I respond to everybody who has a question or a comment or whatever, um, or a tip. I'm always looking for, there's been a lot of JFK stories and people see things in the local press that I won't, you know, necessarily pick up on. So if people find, run across an interesting document from the latest release, which several people have sent me things, I love that kind of reporting, really. That, I look at it as reporting, you know, so people can be eyes and ears on the JFK story and JFK Facts is a place where you can talk about and communicate about the assassination story. So all are welcome. Good. Now, we did mention Tucker Carlson. Was there any other news that caught your eye that you thought someone did a good job on? There was a good story in The Intercept about how the CIA tracked Oswald before the assassination. And Ryan Grimm found an interesting document about a CIA analyst who called attention to the actions of George de Morinschild in 1963 in a way that was very knowledgeable. And a guy who worked in the counterintelligence staff in an office called the Security Analysis Group, which was a counterintelligence office, they reviewed a lot of JFK material in the 70s as the CIA was cooperating with the Church Committee and the House Select Committee on Assassination. So this guy was both looking at sensitive documents and saying what was calling attention to what was significant to his colleagues. And he says this George de Morinschild's actions right at the time when he and Oswald speak for the last time in April 1963 are significant. And the story kind of unpacks that. And I thought that was a particularly good example. I'm going to be posting some other examples on JFK Facts this week of, of interesting stories. One of the things is, is that there's a lot of material to go through and there's a lot to figure out what is truly new. So there are interesting stories that are going to come out of this release, even if it was disappointing. It's just going to take a little while to develop them and, 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 and you know, get them into story form. I don't want to just, you know, do a Twitter thread about this or that. I want to, I want to do a real story. So one place to start is that intercept story. Because I thought that was an interesting find and, and an interesting bit of analysis about one key part of the story. All right. Well, thank you very much for your insight. And I'll have to have you back to talk about your previous books. There was a sure. couple of things that I meant to talk to you about, I think, a year or two ago. And then was COVID and I don't know what happened. But uh... Yeah, no, no. Let, let, let's do that. But, I mean, I think, like, you know, if we're talking about JFK, the, the story of Helms and Nixon and, and how the JFK story figured in the Nixon presidency and in the Watergate story. That's a, a very interesting uh, story and, and less about what exactly happened in Dallas and more about how what happened in Dallas affected all the political power calculations after that. And, and that's the story that's, you know, that's relevant in our times is how does that event back then affect power calculations today? And Scorpion's Dance you know, tells the story of how Nixon and, and Helms managed that. So it's a little snapshot of how the impact of JFK on, on American power. So, yeah, that's worth drilling down on. Let's let's devote a, an hour to that. I'd love to do that sometime. All right. I, I will do that for sure. Okay. Right. Once again, thank you so much. And we'll make links to your article and I'll, I'll send you the show notes so you can just make sure that everything's correct. Okay, good. Good talking, Len. Let's do it again. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Good night.